This is Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. And I'm Alex Menokel. So, Alex, I don't know if you've been looking at the news recently, um, but it's crazy. I didn't understand that uh, Hulu, streaming service provider, was now completely owned by Disney. Hulu and a lot of other things. Hulu is just joining a growing constellation of a huge amount of brands that are owned by Disney. Right. And like, just to kind of hammer the point home a little more, last weekend I finally saw Avengers Endgame. Um, for, for anyone wondering, I enjoyed it because it's just basically a three-hour comic book on TV, which is cool, uh, on a screen, I should say. And the other thing is, the first 15 minutes of the movie, I don't know what happened, because somebody brought a baby to the movie. I mean, I gotta say, that that is the type of thing that gives babies a bad name. Right, because here's the thing, and, and I understand this sounds like I'm about to like do a rant against babies. I'm pro-baby. All right, Shout out to the babies. Love me some babies. You know, even the ugly ones. We love you too. No such thing as an ugly baby. Mm-hmm. Okay, 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 I've gone too far. Mm-hmm. I've gone too far. I even I knew. Listen, we are about truth here on Office yeah. Hours. But no, um, the thing was, the issue was that the baby was just being a baby, cooing, you know, pooing and coo, pooing and cooing. Um, but it was really interesting because the parents both really, you could tell, really wanted to see Avengers, and so they would like the kid would like yell because it's a baby, and mm-hmm. I can understand bringing a toddler because you think it's a comic book movie, but like it's a baby. And so they kept taking turns, taking the baby out. And then, like, <laughs> you'd see, like, the phone light up. And, like, the mom would, like, get up and go outside. And then the dad would come back, like, watch Avengers for 10 minutes. And, like, they did, like, shifts. It was really funny. I mean, yeah, I have a lot. I mean, as a parent, I have a lot of empathy for parents. Uh, yeah. And what, I, you know, I've, I've seen a similar circumstance in movie theaters. And what I feel like I'm watching there is parents learning how to be parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe in a year they will either decide to go see it individually Mm -hmm. or find time for grandma and grandpa to spend with a baby or something and realize that that's not a thing to do uh, because it's it's not enjoyable for either of them or the baby or the people in the theater. So it's like not really a positive thing for anybody in that. Yeah. You know, I have I think I try to have empathy for parents because, you know, at a point, you know, I'd like, I'd love to have kids, but I think the other thing is you were once a baby. And so I think any, like, I can't, like, I understand the, ba- like the babies in bars thing I get. Cause I'm like, I don't want a baby to see like a drunk guy. Like, I don't think that's a healthy experience for a child to like witness like some dude who just got off a shift, you know, doing construction, just blacking out. I don't think it's a good idea. No. And there, I mean, in Chicago, the bar thing is you can bring a baby to a bar you and you can sit a at a table, but right. you can't have that baby sitting at the bar. Correct. Which, it's like, <laughs> it was how, did, how did that rule get made? Back in 1956, uh, Boss Daly passed a <laughs> sweeping <laughs> sweeping legislation. He, he ran on a platform of fewer babies at the bar. I don't remember what he sounded like, but like, babies and bars, not for here. That's you're, my you're, Richard J. Daly impression. Here's what, here's what happened. He heard a podcast in 1956 where the guy was complaining about too many babies at a bar yeah. instead of it being in the movie theater. You know what's funny about that? Because he probably just listened like the radio <laughs> and that was his podcast. We, anyway. Whoa, what? <laughs> uh, we say all that to say that Avengers Endgame, 
also a property owned by Disney. How about that? How you know, about that? And Marvel Studios and all of Buena Vista films. Which, I think that's a studio too, and, yeah. And this is part of how we titled this week's episode. This is Office Hours Episode 1, yeah. Office Hours Cinematic Universe. Yeah, so we're opening up the Office Hours Cinematic Universe today. Um, look forward to 11 to 12 years of, you know, podcasts that range in quality. I mean, we're going to have a press conference in a co- uh, yeah. I'd say two years at San Diego Comic Con where we announce yeah. our full slate. Uh, we're really just so busy getting everything underway right now. I mean, it's it's opened the door to this podcast studio, and it's uh, like you know a crazy, uh, very busy atmosphere yeah. where There's people a lot are running on. around. Stories coming at us. I got a s- stack of Office Hours Cinematic Universe stuff on my desk. Like, right? I got a stack of papers. Right, you guys. I'm, I'm talking like we're talking like No Limit Records 1998 levels of distribution when it comes to just pumping out intellectual property right now. Uh, we, we are the IP people. We are the streets too. We are the streets. We are the, we street. are the streets. <laughs> so what do we do? You know that reference? Uh, we are the streets. Do I know that? Re- yeah. I mean, I'm just going to shrug. No, if it's okay. Like, like you this. might. You might. I, not. I, 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 I could. I, I would be guessing. Okay. If I, no, I do. We are the streets is an album. Um, is by the Locks. They is that L O X? L O X, that ah. is correct. So they're uh, like bagels and locks, sort of? Not so much. Um, they might enjoy that, I would say, but <laughs> I would say it's three guys uh, Jada Kiss, Chic, and Styles. They are fantastic rappers. I am a big fan. So now you I, know who the locks is. It's on my, I'm writing this down. I'm, I, 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 yeah. l- here's the thing you got to know about me. I will, I follow up on every recommendation right. I get because. It ain't easy. I will send you so many Rough Riders tapes. You have no idea. The Rough Riders are an affiliated record label that they were signed to after being signed to Bad Boy Records. Okay. You you know who the Notorious B.I.G. is? I yes, See? I do. I do. Yeah. So they were much they were sampled, label mates. Much sampled dude. That's it. Yeah. 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 So they were label mates. Oh. Okay. And now you know who the locks are. There we go. And that's the purpose of office hours. I love it. <laughs> this is great. I I am personally growing, <laughs> growing and learning every day. That's good. Okay. So. Today, Alex, you are going to explain to us a lot. You're just gonna you're just gonna ride the wave of mental success and clarity that you've created for yourself into a fascinating podcast episode. I, I love that setup. I don't know <laughs> if I can pay that off, but um, I am going to do my best to bring something to the table of this conversation that is going to be equal parts. Alex and Ernest. Yep. I'm mean, no, you're not talk only person talking. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna like, send I, I you off like I, that. I don't think you if if I just read the if I just rattle off the stuff that I've got to think about mm-hmm. or I brought to uh, discuss. Uh, <laughs> this, this would be this a very a short podcast. I, I can I can talk pretty fast. Yeah. I like it. Okay, so what is a monoculture? All right, monoculture is a term from ecology, uh, and it is the practice of growing or producing a single crop, uh, plant, or livestock species. This is not me talking. This is Wikipedia talking. Uh, I I, I think we we came up with this idea. I think we we bounced around a few ideas, and monoculture really popped because, A, when I say monoculture, it's obviously got cultural and business implications, and that's what we talk about here. That's what we talk about here. And so looking into it, it's the origins of this are like, imagine a, you know, if you're like us and you're in Illinois, imagine driving straight west to Galena or Iowa, mm-hmm. right on 80. And you're going to be going through fields of row crops, yep. like either soybeans or alfalfa or corn generally. Yeah. Uh, that's monoculture where that field, that acreage has only 
hosted uh, that crop for mm. X number of years. And the way they make that work is through, uh, um, I guess, uh, breeding uh, varieties of corn or soybeans or alfalfa that are going to be resistant to disease. They're going to produce high yield. Yep. Um, and so, and or you know, for example, if you go for go go to a golf course, right? It's yeah. only going to be two kinds of three kinds of grass there. Uh, you're not going to see very many. You're going to see some wildlife, maybe. I've mm-hmm. seen. I actually saw a one time at a golf course in St. Louis. Saw a really picturesque scene broken up by a fox run across the green oh, yeah, running across the green with yeah. a with a bunny in his mouth oh i haven't seen that that yeah. i haven't seen um, i was like oh well. i used to caddy oh cool. and so i have seen you know a lot of animals a lot of geese i've fought i've like gone to war with geese oh yeah oh god i've seen some terrible things happen to geese on a golf course they're a violent gang i mean geese are very social animals and they will if you bother one goose they're you bother one goose you bother its whole family that's literally what my cousin says to people <laughs> if you're listening teacher i love you um i think it's funny because i'm just like okay so i i guess we, the, the the point of the ecology lesson is to explain why everything feels well, like it's the same well right let's bring it into let's yeah. bring it into the business aspect like when you're talking about something a crop that's a monoculture this is bred for high yield right. um when we talk about monoculture in business and culture, mm-hmm. we're thinking about the same thing, right? right. And and we want to, uh, I, I think part of this is definitely related to the fact that Endgame just came out. We're yep. thinking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we started to look at, at how much yeah. of the entertainment pie uh, Disney owns. And right? would you believe it's a lot, folks? It is a lot. So I, 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 uh, I, I mean, it was a, we, we went and we were just like, okay, let's find every asset that Disney, the Disney company owns, just every asset. And how many pages was it? It was a 37 page <laughs> document that like, just, that just listed like the, the property yeah, owner, right? So it was like Marvel Studios was one line right. and that's really whatever, 55. ESPN was a line at it. Exactly. It's, it's too much to really, uh, so, so. If you want to just like hit the highlights, here are some of Disney's properties that you may have heard of. Star Wars, The Muppets, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that does include the Avengers, includes Endgame, Spider-Man, Thor, Spider-Man Captain America, yeah. the Hulk. The f- um, I think they're getting the Fantastic Four back too. Uh, they are getting the Fantastic Four back. They are getting the X-Men oh, back wow. from Sony, I believe. So they could conceivably do Secret War- Wars. wars. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get a Secret Wars for sure. <sighs> Yeah, See, this have, is not like, a completely uncritical. No, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, also you would, I would definitely bring back Secret Wars because the kids who are now seeing these movies for the first time do not remember Black Suit Spider Man, and Black you suit. don't, you don't think they're going to leave that money on the table, baby? Black Suit Spider Man comes, isn't that Venom? It becomes Venom, right? But the Venom movie in and of itself already exists. But I mean, if they oh, already that comes got, from that's mm-hmm. right. That's right. by the way. Here's so I I, I read um, some of the stuff that Jim Shooter, the yeah. former editor, rest of in Mar- peace. Oh, is he dead? Yeah, he died. Jeez, oh, what a way to find out. Sorry. So um, he's a brilliant voice uh, in comics, but he talked about I think it was Jim Shooter. Fact check me, audience, if I'm wrong. Talking about how Secret Wars came about. Yeah, actually, okay, let, me take a, let me take a second because Jim Shooter is 100% still alive. Jeez. So sorry, Jim. How's it feel to be dead for 35 seconds? That's amazing. <laughs> you should ask well, Paul McCartney. People I, have been calling him dead for like 40 years at this point. Hey, or Avril Levine. She, everyone think, you, you've heard, have you heard of that? What? 
that Avril Lavigne is dead then. Avril Lavigne? Yeah. It's like is Avril she Lavigne? related to the guy from Maroon 5? No. Just asking. Just asking. Adam and Avril, though. That's like, I could, you know what? I could see it. I could see why you would think that. That actually makes sense to me. Because they have the same last name. Yeah. And they're yeah. both like brunettes. Seem uh, to be. Are they both from California? They seem no, to be. Avril Lavigne's from Canada. You? She is Canadian. Sorry, Canada. <laughs> Shout out to Canada, by the way. All provinces. I love Canada. Yeah, shout out to Newfoundland. Newfoundland is <laughs> it's a great province. A personal favorite province, mm-hmm. uh, Alberta. Yeah, home it's of got Calgary. Calgary. It's home got of the Hart family. Home of the Hart family dungeon. It, it's got uh, Lake Louise. Okay. It's got Banff. Yeah. I mean, the Stampede every year. Oh yeah. The only I, thing I the only thing I know about Calgary other than the Stampede is literally the Hart family, the pro wrestling dynasty, Hart House, Brett. Yeah. Owen. I'm, Jim. Davy boy. Also writing that down. Yeah, it's H A R T T. Dude, I got matches for you to watch. They're so cool. Oh my god. YouTube me. Brett versus Owen, baby. Let's do it. Um, So, so, so let me just make this one point about the Secret Wars. Which yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, the the way that came about was basically Mattel wanted to do a tie in with Marvel, and so they did a focus group with twelve year old boys. And focus groups. uh, I'd like to know what people listening to this think the value of focus groups. Is but uh, but they came out of that out of that focus groups group learning. I'm doing air quotes mm-hmm. that twelve year old boys love secrets and yeah. they love wars, <laughs> and so they, they love <laughs> secrets and they love <laughs> wars. And th- so they made they were like okay <laughs> they were like all right that's it yeah that's our thing secret we're doing wars. secret wars what's yeah. it going to be about <laughs> who, who yeah cares? and if you read the secret <laughs> war comics go back and like find the trade paperback if you can because you can tell because <laughs> they were like uh we got to get every Marvel superhero right. in the current continuity into one place at one time. Right. In in issues 11 and 12, it is just them tying up plot holes. That's it, it is just like, where did She-Hulk go in episode three? I don't know. Let's uh, time travel her yeah. back. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's like, hey, he did. Did he die? No, he didn't die. Now he's different looking. I don't know. Oh, yeah, he just yeah. went to another realm. Right. <laughs> Here's a bunch of random X-Men that are now a thing. Like, what are you doing? But it's a cool idea. So, yeah. okay, so we're doing the list so of Mattel. Disney properties. But wait, Let's, so Secret Wars existed because a toy company and Marvel weren't to make toys. Yeah, and so, so that's an interesting thing to think about is that Marvel in the 80s made, the, their bread and butter was licensing. So yeah. Mattel was a big licensor. Um, they licensed uh, IP from Hasbro. Yeah. So G.I. Joe was the number one selling comic in 1985. It was also a license. Transformers. Yeah. ROM was a license. Uh, you know what else? Thundercats. There was a Thundercats. Yeah. There was Thundercats. a Thundercats comic book. There was all. Oh my gosh. Starriers. I mean, they did yeah. tons of Silverhawks. Like sure. all of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Wow. So I mean, licensing is a big part of this. Uh, you know, the IP picture. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that it's one of those underground, like behind the scenes things, where it's like, where did the, how did this deal get made? Yeah. And so like, if you're all in, like, licensing, we were talking earlier, but like, if you go to like Home Depot. And you go to get keys made. You can get like Spider Man keys. Is that what you're talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, right. So the so um, uh, what is Schlegel? Right, is a key uh, blank maker, and they're they're like, well, how do we get people to grab our key blanks more than anything? Well, let's do a deal with Disney and get like Mickey Mouse keys, and somebody's gonna buy that. I have a Hello Kitty key. So that came from crazy. that's a Japan thing, I yeah, believe. They yeah, Hell Kitty's overseas. Yeah. Get no, I mean like there. printing like like custom printed keys. Oh really? Is a Japan thing. I believe. It's sick yeah. though. I like it's it a, a lot. A, a lot of good stuff from, comes from Japan. Yes, it does. I wanna go. Uh, Have you I, been? No, I wanna go so bad. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think the the larger context is kind of understanding 
the, the stuff around you and the culture that raised you, right? So I think, you know, you hear, I saw somebody tweet the other day, they were like, you know, Disney, you know, owns my childhood. And I was like, well, it's not about owning your childhood. They're not just after the kids anymore. Like, right. I think that was a strategy that they pivoted to and it really worked. Right. And, and to that owning the childhood thing, do you remember, let's see, um, there's the original Star Wars. Yeah. Then okay. there were the prequels. Yep. Right. And then there was the Clone Wars. Yeah, Clone Wars. And prequels. Well, Clone Wars was one of the prequels, right? I don't. It was. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was like it, was it took took place in the. Yeah. So and and as a as like a fan of the original trilogy, mm-hmm. I saw the prequels and I was like, man, there's a lot of like this is nine year old kid business. I yeah. don't know about this. And then I see the Clone Wars and I'm like, who is this even for? They've yeah. really lost the plot here. Guess what? It turns out they didn't lose the plot. I just aged out. That's and cultural like, fossilization. Exactly. That's, that's why people get so upset because they don't. They the stuff isn't being made for you anymore. Right. They, Lucas was like, and his, I guess, I don't know, his management team was yeah. like, well, we've we've got all the money we're gonna get out of Alex. Right. He's not gonna buy more action figures. Right. But you know who is? His kid. Nine year old kids yeah. in ten years are gonna have their own money, and they like, let's, yeah. you know, so brilliant. And brilliant that, that also explains why. It's actually speaking of things coming out, they're remaking. So the Lion King and Aladdin, they're doing live CGI blend versions of those this summer. Yep. And so as my childhood was the animated versions. Yep. In the nineties. Right. And so I know and have seen people get out of shape because they're like, Why are they remaking this? They shouldn't remake it. They'll still go to see it though. Yeah. Oh, they're you gonna, know? yeah. I mean I think what if you're Dis- on a plane, you're watching that movie. Come on. Oh, for sure. What yeah. Disney has discovered is that there's there's a lot of demand for those properties yeah. out there that is just like they're the only ones who can satisfy it. And because they own them at all. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's I think now uh, part of it is technology, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you can make a live action Beauty and the Beast or a live action Aladdin or a live action Lion King that is plausible where yeah. the lions are talking and you're not like you don't feel like you're watching like Conan O'Brien yeah. do that thing with, his, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Um and part of it is also just like let's make the most out of our owned IP, right? Yeah. They don't have to go out and buy IP to do this. They yeah. already the Beauty and the Beast is a Hans Christian Andersen story. Yes, Where, well, that's, yeah, right, isn't yeah. it? So we're gonna we're gonna put that through the office hours. Uh, <laughs> fact checker, fact checker. Um, our producing team is checking on this right now. We have, I can see, I can see most of them running through the lobby of the office oh, to God. the computer. So many interns. They're coming back with. They have a printout, um, and they're coming toward us. So, yeah, of course, we can see our, our purview here in the Office Hours HQ studio is is vast. Uh, just sitting here above the factory floor. Uh, uh, it's French. Just, it's just, actually not Hans Christian Andersen. It is a story written, actually, by French novelist Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve. Ah, wow. Thank you. Thank you, team. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I'm we'll, so, and folks at home, if you can hear the noise as they open and close the door, we're sorry. Yeah. There's just it's There's so many interns. Cacophony. <laughs> Cacophony. So so. Uh, okay, where were we? <laughs> okay, yeah, Disney. Disney yeah. So, so, so the reason everything. we're talking yeah. about movies is that is it, just is Disney, one of the yeah. most apparent ways that it it uh, that a a culture can influence or can become the business monoculture well, right and a the business thing is can become a monoculture. but literally it's the process of monetizing culture exactly and so i think that's why it's so fascinating because again we're you know business the the business of culture and i think what i'm really interested in other than the kind of sense of like because i get it right i think some people are angry like i'm mad that disney owns everything and i'm like yeah but like 
I don't understand why you wouldn't own as much intellectual property as possible. Well, this is the thing in media and entertainment. It's a winner take all. That's literally my job, right? right It's like, yeah. Uh, there's a big difference between a new artist putting out a form of music that they've invented uh, themselves mm-hmm. or in their own culture, for example, uh, for the first time and trying to find an audience, yeah. right? There's audience development versus a somebody with their audience already developed like a Taylor Swift or mm-hmm. a Beyonce or a, but Maroon, even then, or a Maroon 5. But even then, like, I, there's there's levels to that too because there's different fan bases, right? Because sure. I think... You know, use let's use rap as an example, right? So there's a rapper out right now. Her name is Megan The Stallion. She's fantastic, and she's from Texas. And so what she did, and I think it's a situation that kind of mirrors a lot of other culture role things, is she got a cracking at her hometown. So you got the people in your your region that are really messing with it, and you take it to you know a larger st- status of the actual larger rap audience. You're doing features. You're teaming up with people. And now she's at a point now where she just dropped a tape today. It's fire, by the way. And, you know, she's in pictures with Drake and people that are now representing a different audience that she was previously reaching. She has fans that like both of those artists. But for the first time, she's now appealing to a different fan base. Right. And and, yeah, and she deserves it. One, uh, just a shout out to a podcast that I love mm. uh, by Chris Melanthi called Hit Parade. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. Was a, there was an, if you haven't listened to it, there's an episode a couple episodes mm. ago about uh, I think the history of rap on the charts. Oh yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things to me is that rap didn't really break f- through until the crossover, mm-hmm. right? So, and this is why, like, I think it was Good Vibrations by Marky mm, Mark and the Funky Bunch or, might have been one of the yeah. first. Rico Suave by Geraldo. Exactly. Geraldo. So, so there are there are. It's basically a song that is interludes of, uh, you know, there's yeah. a, the, in Good Vibrations, it's a very, like, a beautiful rendition of the lyric, Good Vibrations by a... Yeah, a, sung by a person. Um, right, exactly. And, and then... Wrapped by Marky Mark Wahlberg. Wrapped over that. Right, exactly. Now, the fact but, that but he's they, an actor they, is wild to me. I, I, still, still, like, I still think of I him as Marky Mark. I respect it. Cause that, that dude's in shape. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the crossover, the crossover yeah. is a way to do audience development. I right. think one of the dangers of that is like once you're trying to say you are trying to add in bring all fans into your base right Right. then like uh that's when you get into this monoculture where you are creating something that's for everyone Mm -hmm. right you go from saying like i'm going to build my audience by being totally true to this particular uh this particular kind of voice right Right. you know what's funny about that every time i've interviewed on a rapper or an artist, actually say an artist in general, who is putting out their first like major project, like major label project, maybe they just got signed, they'll always be like, this album has something for everybody. Right. <laughs> and it's like, right. oh man. <laughs> I don't want the stuff for everybody. I don't but want I, the stuff I, for everybody. I mean, you don't like, I don't know, you don't get like, I, I it's been, a, it, there are very few artists who will put out an album where it's just like, this is great from second one of track one all the way through to the end. It's like, you get, there's a lot of stuff that's totally spotty. And I have to say that's mm-hmm. probably like, I, I, I don't know. Would how you say that's a, would you say that's actually like a bad, I think that's a, a real sign of when you try to appeal to everybody, but you might, like you don't have the range or, or it's just a, the way the industry works where they're just like, okay, you're going to work with this producer for these two tracks oh, and yeah. this producer and this songwriting tr- team over here. And then we'll s- just see what hits. Well, I used to, so I used to work in a and it's really funny because that process is a lot more straightforward than that. But a lot of times it will literally be who is hot right now. Mm. And so you go say, okay, I know, I don't know. 
producer X is, is dope. So I would literally go, okay, let me go see if I can go get this person on because the name and if there's another song that sounds like the hit mm-hmm. that this person made previously, odds are, you know, and especially with streaming, oh my gosh, like that's why if you notice like so many projects now have like 37 songs, it's because they were like, okay, mm-hmm. we know that the following demographics respond to boop, 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 and the boop, you know? And so you say, okay, cool, I'm going to go find a producer that has a Latin trap sound. I'm going to go find a producer that, you know, works really great gutter stuff, like street stuff, and so on and forth, and you kind of retroactively package it from there. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm? Yeah, and and I think something similar happens in, it's so in, in, in like, for example, like, I guess the example that we're going off here, Disney, right? Yeah. Like, they, they are trying to appeal to everyone. Right. Um, and largely it's been successful. I, I One thing I looked up, and I, I meant to, uh, share this with you um, during one of our many pre-production sessions. I mean, they just we go on and on and talking yeah. about like you guys should. I'd say the audience should see and hear how much stuff we just leave out. It's amazing. So we use everything. We use everything. You know, we're really trying to like it's it's a uh, from the rooter to the tutor. But <laughs> I think um, I think it's very funny too because a lot of these conversations and especially the one about Disney, it has a news peg, but you don't really realize it. Like we started talking about the idea of like Disney owning everything and we started just looking around and we looked at like box office revenue. Right. We looked at like, like <laughs> in the revenue. So, so we looked at also yeah. like just butts and seats. Yeah, I literally. did some, I did some very this rudimentary math. Cool. math. Yeah. Well, so if you, if you look at uh, how much Disney earns, Disney is a gigantic corporation. It earns like $57 billion a year, mm-hmm. uh, which is roughly equivalent to three quarters of 1% of all American households income. Say that again. Three quarters of 1% of all Americans income. So it's goes it, to Disney goes to Disney. So if, if you can imagine like the federal government saying like, we're going to tax you an additional three quarters of 1%, you'd be like that. that I'm in the streets. Yeah. I, I'm in the streets. Riots, yeah. right? I'm angry. The crazy thing is that that, is a tenth of what Walmart makes. It's it's huge, but it's like what? there are yeah there there. I mean, Walmart's giant, Amazon's bigger. Yeah, there's a lot of companies that are bigger out but there. But they own are, like a percentage of every household income in America. It's crazy, and uh, um, and the the crazy the crazier thing mm-hmm. is that ten years ago when the first Iron Man launched, yeah. that number was two thirds of what it is today. That's crazy. So they they've done nothing but grow over the last ten years, yeah. which is cool. And so. That's one way of looking at it. I also looked at like just taking all the franchises that are out there, some of those big name franchises mm-hmm. like uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, um, James Bond. Yeah. Um, and just looking at how many total butts and seats they put. These are estimated adjusted numbers. Right. Um, based on uh, like a, a sort of an average ticket price over the last 10 years. Okay. Of, like eight dollars and 35 cents which yeah. seems low but it seems really low yeah i mean i remember it but like it's wild to think that that was once the case if not cheaper but get this so of all the franchises out there marvel cinematic universe which encompasses i think 22 movies has put point. has put the most butts and seats about a billion butts and seats so about a billion people have uh, about a billion tickets have been sold. so wait it's World more than star wars Okay, so here's yeah, it is. So with Star Wars uh, lifetime, it, it Star Wars is just behind uh, the Marvel wow. Cinematic Universe with 900 million tickets sold, which so, is so. So if you just think about like the cultural pervasiveness, right? So if you wanted to, for example, erase uh, any cultural product, uh, that that's easier the closer you are to the moment of inception, right? right? And right. and how much stuff is out there, right? 
I don't think it's possible. Like, I think if, say, human life was extinguished today, I hate to... I hate to say this, Man. but say say we just we decided to pack up and move to a, yeah. a better planet. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 it's, it's probably going to get to that point at some point. <laughs> say we just moved to another planet. Yeah. We just left everything behind and just yeah. like not even took the, didn't even take the clothes off our backs. Right. Just moved to another planet. We're, right. we're still happy, still alive. I don't want to be dark. Um, and just left this planet behind. Okay, uh, like the mark on on the planet of these cultural things is going to be there like we yeah. it's impossible to erase um like you you couldn't erase things like james bond or zelda yeah. or captain america right? right there's just so much stuff out there um and and just just like putting that just trying to put that in context um yeah marvel cinematic universe has the most mm-hmm. uh total butts and seats uh harry potter is in on in the discussion with about a third the amount Right. And if you think about like how much Harry Potter stuff there is out there, how many people have read those books and watched yeah. those movies? Never seen it. Yeah, me. You never know what? seen it. Never. You know what? It. I I I started a job, a, a new job in a marketing agency in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Like my second day, they were like, "Hey, what are you doing tonight?" And I was like, "I don't know." And they were like, "Come to a movie. AOL's taking us to uh, the the premiere <laughs> of Harry Potter." And I was like, what? "Really? Oh, that's cool." Yeah. And it was just like a. A Chicago premiere event right. at Webster Place. Yep, right? that's where they do them at. And we got like jelly beans with the fun the flavors. flavors yeah. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Harry Potter seems like a fun thing. Seems like a nice guy. And then I was just like, okay, I can forget about this. Uh, and th- no, you can't forget about I, it. I've, my philosophy is always sometimes you got to sit a cultural phenomenon out. Just sit it out. Yeah. What I'm, does it matter? I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I mean, I, like we were talking about before, you we've all got like, Blind spots. Everybody's right? got blind spots. But I, I, I do feel bad for the people who are out there who, and there's got to be some who went to see, for example, Endgame mm-hmm. with no. Oh, without, yeah. I mean, because that movie isn't like, it doesn't play like a movie movie. It's yeah. just like a capstone. I know for a fact that a guy that I know took a girl on a date to see Endgame. She had never seen anything, had no idea what was going on. <laughs> And I was like, why would you do that to somebody? And he was I, like, I really want to see Endgame. <laughs> and this, this, this is going to, I, I was, uh, my, in high school, my girlfriend's mom was like, uh-huh. I've got movie tickets I can't use. And we were like, yeah, okay, we'll go see whatever. Right. So we go to the movie theater, sit down. We're sitting there joking around, like literally kids joking around. There are people like looking at us like, what is your problem? Like, yeah. They're just like, be serious. Yeah. This this, and, and like the lights hadn't even gone down. It was yeah. like, we're like, what is your problem? Yeah. Lights go down. Movie starts. It's Schindler's List. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so like, you're like having so much fun. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. The yeah. Night. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, <sighs> is that the worst movie you've gone in? Have you ever gone on a, a, a date to a movie and it was just like not the right movie? Uh, yeah, that has happened. Okay, that has definitely happened. I think that might be. What was the movie? That I might be. Know. That might. Be, I can't. I can't top myself. Could you? Have no, you? the Schindler's List one. That's an all timer. <laughs> so you're up there. The closest I can get. Did you ever? See, did you ever see a movie called Fear? Speaking of Mark Wahlberg. Uh no. So in the late '90s, um, MTV and the folks who make that really sold the movie fear really well. It's Mark. I think it's Reese Witherspoon is in it. Yeah. And Mark Wahlberg. And it, they like Bush had a song on it and it was mm. like, Ooh, this movie was cool. Was it, was it glycerine? 
It might have been Glycerin. That's Bush's. It's either that or Machine Head. Was oh, also good. That's also good. Um, and so I saw the movie with a girl, thinking that it's like a date movie. Now bear in mind, I had only seen the like the music video where they're showing scenes from the movie, and not any trailers, because it's 1998. Sure. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just go on a date to see Fear, and maybe (laughs) Fear is like a little, you know, ooh, it's like. A maybe subversive like, thing. Maybe it's like fear of laughing too much. Yeah. Or no, or not even that. I was like, maybe it'll be like a thriller, but it won't be like scary. Right. Fear, um, not a movie to see on a date. No. Not a movie to see oh, on a date. Sorry. Yeah. So. I did see, I, I remember one time, uh, uh, just we like had a, me and my, my spouse had a free afternoon and uh, we were like, well, let's go check out a movie. What's mm-hmm. playing? We literally randomly were like, what's playing? And just based on the poster, I was like, this looks good. It's got a Jason Bateman. He's funny, <laughs> right? It was The Gift, it right? Was it was gift. The Gift. And Wait, is that the which one? Which is a thriller mm. uh, with, oh man, I forget the guy's name. But it, it's a very, very taut thriller like um, I, I, where it's just like you come out of it basically just like, uh, I'm wrecked. Um, yeah. So I was, I've made some bad movie decisions. I, yeah. I do. I personally, and that might be partly because I like going to movies yeah. with no idea what's. What you just like expect. to get surprised. Yeah. Um. So, do you hear that? That was Vincent Price, um, oh rising from the dead in the ha- thriller movie Haunted Podcast yeah, Studio. We have a haunted podcast studio. Um. So okay, I think what it sounds like is I understand this sounds really negative, and I think the idea of their you know, being one company that kind of owns everything is something that people aren't comfortable with. Yeah, and and I think part of that is like, uh, you know, you you imagine like uh, a state that controls, uh, like you you think of like state-sponsored mind control, like 1984, or like uh, current day North Korea. MK Ultra, baby, stay woke. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'll tell you later. Thank you, thank you. uh, so So you think about like, what are the uh, w- what happens around there? Like, what if, if Disney is putting out that much cultural product, right? Uh, and they have a huge slice of our entertainment dollar, right? right. Um, then what are the the do's and don'ts? Like, there's somebody at Disney. There's, I mean, there's obviously not one person making all the decisions for because, for God's sakes, there can't be one person who knows all the things no. that they're making, right? Uh, there's at least like there's like a board of people, <laughs> like at least ten. So wait. I think that's interesting to hear because it doesn't seem like a company that big would need rules other than like don't. Well, the rule, like, the basically yeah. the rule is make money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, that's so, <laughs> but uh, but there you know there, there are uh, there. Let's see, what do I got here? There are, uh, for example, there was a Hollywood director named I'm I'm, I'm reading now. Yeah, There's a Hollywood director named David Lowry who made the remake of Pete's Dragon. Okay, uh, he revealed the three things that you can't show on screen uh if you're making a, a movie under the disney name okay uh and th- those are beheadings impalement and smoking and there's a couple of exceptions to that like for example if they're doing a uh historical figure mm-hmm. uh who was in fact a smoker and it would be historically inaccurate to not show them smoking they'll show them smoking and th- so that's th- all of disney properties uh that's movies that are made under the disney, disney moniker yeah. so if you see the castle with the oh, yeah. thing at the beginning, yeah. and it's like, uh, what is the theme song? When you wish upon a yeah. star, please. They, it's like if you're making a movie that's under that banner, you can't have a beheading or smoking or impalement. And this is this. I think one of the recent chairmen's sort of 
added smoking because if you go back and watch Pinocchio, oh, yeah. I was like, Pinocchio, 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 Pinocchio yeah. definitely smoked. Yeah, he definitely and did. Toked a big cigar yeah, there. Was, I remember that. Um, but the so like that's I think just the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, they yeah. they are trying to create appeal for a very broad swath of the population. Yeah. So there are some things you will want to do and some things that you obviously won't want to do. Right. Um, so I guess the, the my thinking is like the danger there is that like if they really take over the culture and other media companies are basically are taking note and mm-hmm. saying, well, if nobody else is doing impalements, <laughs> we're going to lead the league in impalements. <laughs> no, or, that kind of feels like, or, kinda, it, yeah. or if they're making money not doing impalements, maybe there's somebody just going like, take that. I'm not, I'm yeah, not recommending yeah, impalements. Please, just don't be but out here. I'm just saying things. like. Hey, maybe that is uh, that is having an impact on the culture of uh, filmmaking and entertainment that that we don't we can't see right now. Right. So I I am also very interested because you mentioned like appealing to all different types of people. And, you know, I think Disney, with all their consolidated like holdings, they legit have every demographic covered. Oh, absolutely. If it's right. got a if if a if something has a pulse and they're breathing uh, and they're consuming media, uh, that's their audience. They're not right. they're not segment marketers. They right. are trying yeah, to sell. They're fl- as right. as as a wise man once said, they're flooding the block. They're flooding the zone. This is, it's been that, wait, what is flooding the block? Is that flooding, a sports thing? It's a, no, it's a rap thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, uh, technically, I think it's a drug dealing is it a gang thing i don't think so drug dealing i don't know i don't know i don't want to speak on behalf of those people (laughs) i don't want to speak on behalf of people because i think (laughs) i that's how you get that's how you get you're gonna get in trouble for exposing the lingo no i mean have you listened to rap music dog like (laughs) i i'm not gonna answer that obviously i I have yeah well anyway like i think it's funny because culturally i know when you're you're creating ideas you're creating the sense of scope right right like literally my job is to create content yeah. for a living and right. so like the the larger context of what you're trying to do is like establishing it and figuring out because i think there's i think that's not a bad lesson to learn like, oh yeah, yeah think, like how do we like like i mean that's right. an interesting game and like how do we reach the broadest possible audience well, right first if, first how do you get to a point where you have a, an audience wide enough to even market to that you're making that much money because i think a lot of people who are creatives have grandiose ambitions right they think that whatever they're making is something that people will enjoy no matter what and i think the success comes for some when they go actually let me take a step back who do i want to affect with this work and then regardless of what that work is or whatever medium you use you then can say okay i know that for example this podcast right i we were talking about this and i thought about it and i was like okay who is going to listen to this podcast it's going to be either people who are currently doing creative industry work who want to hear contextual you know, examples about the stuff that they're doing every day and people who are younger who don't know any of this stuff and just want the cheat code. Right. And right. so I know that. And so we tailor our content to that. We tailor everything we do to that because knowing that that audience is there, let's go target them and let's go show them that we are listening. But more importantly, we want to help. Right. Right. Uh- it, it's to it and from a, an artist's point of view, I mean, right. there could be artists who are just like, "What if, like, I'm making this kind of living? What would I have to do to make that kind?" Of I thing, think everybody right? thinks that, yeah. and then that's why they try to go wide from day one. But the problem is, you can't go wide day one. Right. You can't. Right. I mean, like, there are also some musicians who are just like, "I do contemporary bluegrass." Yeah. My listeners are contemporary bluegrass yeah. listeners. I don't want any of that. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm not. I'm never going to play a stadium. 
I'm just going to play this kind of gig. Yeah. And that's what I do. And, and so that's that's totally respectable. It's direct I mean, to consumer. That's direct yeah. to consumer. Like you're saying, oh, you know, using an example, I always have rap examples, but like the concept of just getting it out of the trunk and saying, hey, I know specifically that a certain segment of the population really enjoys my stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to that segment of the population. I'm going to give them what they want. Right. They are going to respond with money. When I get that money, I'm then going to spend that money on developing more stuff that these people and, like. And bringing <laughs> other audiences right. in. Right. Because once you get to a point where you're wider and you've expanded your audience, because if your stuff's good, people will share it. And so I think the piece that people and, and you know, young artists specifically and young creatives specifically, I think the frustration comes because they don't understand why they're not seeing that gain, but they don't even own their own like neighborhood. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I see that a lot in Chicago. Oh yeah, yeah. Like in, in the music scene, just in creative scene, I think. Okay. I think there's a lot of people who are frustrated because they see other people doing things, and I think it's anywhere. I don't know. I just live in Chicago, but I think you see other people doing things, and you're mad because you feel as though if either you could do a better job, you just want more attention. They just have more attention than you are, and so you have this. In Kanye called the Chicago the city of hella haters, hmm. and so you have people who are just very. The, the stereotype is that everybody's really critical just because they want your spot. But to be honest, it's also like, I think level of quality is a piece of it, but there is a, a silent, I don't say jealousy, but there's a silent like hate there hmm. because if you are working really hard and, and I'll say this, we're creating something right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course I want this podcast to be the number one podcast in the iTunes store every week. Right. But I understand that for the niche that we're trying to serve, that mm-hmm. is not a broad niche. This is not this American life. Exactly. This is, we're not serial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think instead of being frustrated that what we're doing isn't translating, I think owning the lane is so much more rewarding. Yeah, right. Uh, but the Not thing is, that's what, that, and that's yeah. what, you know, A24 does. That's what, Hell like, yeah. right, in movies, that's where there are. But as a cult, right, but as a business, what, like, uh, I think that's a cultural, like, that's a business lesson for people who work in culture, though. Like, right. own your, own your block. Own your block first, yeah. But if you like, the thing is, what is what? How do you grow, right? Right. That's uh, a question. That, yeah. So if if you're in media, it's it, or if you're a public company, for God's sakes, mm-hmm. like you gotta grow. Yeah. And so like that's why you've got to show. That's why Disney is the way it is. It's growing by either acquisition or just uh, continually putting more product out there. So, I guess when you're at Disney, you have resources, right? And I think a lot of times creatives people working in media you see it in journalism like when you lose resources you lose the ability to grow and so i think what other than i think the acquisition thing is interesting Mm -hmm. because obviously if you're a company that has 72 billion dollars coming in every year you can you can buy a company you'd be like hey we're just gonna we're just gonna take this i mean lucasfilm cost them billion dollars right four billion dollars that's a huge price tag but not if but you're not <laughs> if you have that money to do it right. like, it ain't tricking if you got it right, exactly think, and, I, and and yeah. acquisitions like that are i mean lucasfilm had to decide that disney was the right place you know right. the, the, it is there's a, a mutual a there's a mutuality yeah. there yeah, it yeah. isn't like uh uh a competitive uh, like a buy and buy and burn down right. sort of thing, right? Yeah. That does happen. I mean, like a lot of consulting companies, like you just buy a company and kind of shell it. But what right. I think is interesting is like, what are the solutions for that growth if you don't have the resource? Uh, like how do you grow if you're an independent player yeah. in media? Yeah. I, 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 well, quality of content. Yeah. Number one, I think uh, appeal of your ideas. Uh, and I think 
know, like you were saying, like knowing your audience and uh, creating something that's differentiated, yeah. right, and and unique. So, uh, I, I think that there is there is you know Disney has a formula for doing yeah. what they do, but and the downside of that is a certain percentage of all the all the stuff that you're going to see on screen is going to fit that formula. But mm-hmm. the upside is that there is going to be an appetite for something that doesn't. Yeah. Fit that, right. So yeah. there's going to be I think there's always going to be room for uh, hit movies or for, for people to there's going to be an audience uh, who's going to want to see something that they can't see that they know they're not going to see. In a Disney movie. Well, yeah. I think the other thing is and then now I'm just kind of thinking about access points. That's a big thing for me. Like I want to know because you want people who are working in culture to know more about business so that they make more money so that culture gets better. Right. But I think what's interesting to that is like the idea of kind of saying like okay i know my audience i know that i am catering to a certain demographic i know that my stuff is hot like people are messing with it but it's there's still something to be said about a machine Mm -hmm. and i know you know music context would be a record label book context be a publishing house like that kind of thing does it do you need that machine to be successful well, I'd say I'd say let's let's think about redefining success, right? Okay. Like so, an interesting case um, that is a personal favorite of mine. And if you've ever been in the room when the topic comes up, you're you've, you're gonna fall asleep uh, when I bring this up. But uh, Blumhouse Productions, <laughs> yeah, I know, terrible. Uh, have you ever heard of Blumhouse? No, you might not. Maybe I have, and I just don't know. Paranormal Activity. Yep. Okay. Put them on yeah. the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they also produced Whiplash. Oh yeah, uh, the visit. Um, t- any horror movie or thriller, suspense movie that takes place like in a house yeah. from like the next, last ten years <laughs> is maybe you done by like The Purge, is okay. a Blumhouse thing. Um, so I, I heard uh, Jason Blum, the guy behind Blumhouse, talk, and I, I was fascinated um, that he produced or, or didn't produce. He was on. Whoops. He was on. Oh, sorry, anyone yeah. at home who got that deep bass thud uh <laughs> that was an emphatic he slapped his hand down like he was matlock he was like and another thing i, I got a big uh dikembe mutombo <laughs> uh like not not in my house thing from Ernest here yeah uh so so uh, the so his idea was basically I, I he came at it at this from the angle of having worked on the movie uh, the tooth fairy Oh, which the was rock, the yeah. rocks yeah. i think cinematic yeah. debut yeah and it was it was, it was like it was <laughs> <laughs> okay, The Rock, this is sad that I know this. So The Rock's first movie was The Scorpion King, which is a sequel from The Mummy Shit, with Brendan Fraser, who was like, that was the last time you like, saw Brendan Fraser. Right? Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. But then The Rock blew up off of that and then like low-key came back to wrestling as like Hollywood Rock and was like uh, the greatest version of himself that I think he's like the version that like a lot of people who are younger than me will remember as The Rock, but... <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought I could bring up a wrestler yeah, you and knew not have on. this go on that tangent. So anyway, Blum, yeah. Long story he, short, yeah. Long story put, short, that was like that was his first breakout role by himself after like the Get Shorty remix, uh, remake or sequel or whatever that movie was. So Blum was involved in that production in some way, and right. just was like, this is a ton of resources, right? You they put I don't know how many millions into it and yeah. just barely made a profit, right. you know. And it was like that's a huge investment. What if? What if there's another way to do it? So right. paranormal activity came at him that like it was it was pitched to him and it was like a twenty thousand dollar budget or something sick like that. Right. And he they ended up doing a couple of reshoots and re edits and put mm-hmm. it out. Long story short, it made 
280 some million dollars yeah, worldwide crazy. yeah which is the highest like uh return on investment that a film had ever made right uh so he took that formula right like well in horror suspense like horror sus- suspense movies always make a certain amount of money yeah. right so if you can keep your budget below that then you will make money yeah action and movies this is this way. is the yeah. this is the machine that he's created at blumhouse which is basically keep your budgets low put it out in this category and you will probably made make money and if you look at the if you look at the net result i mean, I mean it's yeah. worked for him damn that's crazy yeah it is crazy so so there is there there are open lanes out there is mm-hmm. my my point um i think like you don't want to go out there and be like as a creator i want to make a uh, a family-friendly PG, maybe PG-13 rated uh, action hero franchise, unless you're DC, right? right. If you're coming at this yeah. and being like, I want to I want to start from scratch, I want to yeah. be the challenger brand. You yeah. don't want to challenge show, Disney. Wow. Do not yeah. challenge. Like, yeah, just don't show up. I, I think that's that's one of the, the detrimental effects of monoculture where you're not going to see the alternative superhero universe out well, there, right? Because yeah. the, the cost of entry is too high Agreed. for anyone but a Disney or a 20th century Oh wait, they're owned too by Disney. Soon. Yeah, or a Hulu. Oh, yeah, damn, they're owned by Disney too. So, so the, the, this is like you know in agriculture, like we talked about at the top. If there's a disease that gets introduced into that crop, mm-hmm. uh, that in, and this is actually if you've seen Moana, <laughs> Disney movie, right? This monoculture <laughs> the rock is in that too. This Look is, at that. Jeez, uh, wow, there's so many big circles here. <laughs> so if you look at Moana, the first part of the movie. Ish, yeah. like before she sets off. The reason Moana has to go on that quest. Oh, by is, the way, this is Moana spoilers. If you haven't seen Moana, yeah, sorry guys, Moana spoilers. Yeah, yeah. everybody's seen Moana. Yeah. That's I, a, such a, good a movie. such a good movie. Yeah. So before she gets to the island with Maui, that's a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, the reason she's got to go off the island is that their monoculture uh, of the the Polynesian uh, island that she lives on has uh, been infected with the disease. So mm-hmm. the coconuts are bad, and the yeah. fish have for whatever reason aren't fishable right uh so anyway that the, the, so imagine if some, there was some poison that infected disney uh the, that like say poison, I, yeah i mean say there was uh i think in culture it's like a scandal uh, or I, something. I, I, I yeah. mean possibly say it was revealed that they only hire certain kinds of talent yeah uh say it was revealed that there are like bias w- processing yeah exactly yeah exactly i, I, I don't think that's a huge risk for disney uh because they're pretty diversified uh and that would undercut their uh, their main selling proposition of being able to sell to everything, everyone. Right. Uh, but it's it's possible. Yeah, I, th- I think people to me do the, the, stuff the, like that all the time. No, bro, it's like oh yeah. yeah. Uh, to me, the, the the biggest detriment is that there are people out there who are not going to be able to to make inroads on in the lanes that Disney already owns because Disney can outspend everyone and and sink you. Yeah. They could they could literally buy up every showing at a theater if they wanted to. Or say say you're say you do get that alternative superhero universe thing yeah. off the ground. You somehow crowdfund a hundred million dollars to yeah. to launch the first. They, they they will release an Avengers movie on the same day that you release. And just realize, thank you. Yeah, so so I think is that something that should I think a lot of people think about that kind of concept of you're never gonna win. Because that's, that's, I mean, it's not obviously that cut and dry, but I think some people use that as a reason to not try. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I mean, there are have got to be creators out there. Like, uh, do you yeah. know Brian K. Vaughn? Yeah, of course. He's um, a guy named Saga. Why the Last Man. Last yeah. Man yeah, yeah, Saga. Yeah. That show's coming. This going to be a TV show now. So, so it, Why the Last Man is? Yeah. yeah. That I can show. believe. Saga 
one of the and just reading some of the the stuff he put out about that he said that he wanted to create something totally unfilmable mm. and if you read saga it's like yeah this is mm-hmm. uh this every page of this this book is like a hundred million dollars <laughs> it's <laughs> funny like too because you... like you think about like image comics right image mm-hmm. comics and how they got founded where it was a bunch of xdc and marvel guys who were like young talent who were just like fed up and like started their own thing but it's interesting because like that concept worked it worked for them they were like okay sure. we are we are the art like being the alternative right i think you see it a lot in like counterculture i think it, the people make a lot of money oh, yeah. off of uh, being at, the challenger yeah, yeah like vans and like the warp tour remember all that oh, like yeah. i think there's a lot of money in being the upstart there is there are th- things that a number two can do that a number one can't. So, yeah. like for example, Burger King, the number two. Yeah, Burger King is for- fine. <laughs> Burger King can put out a two thousand calorie omelet burger sandwich, yep. right, and appeal to the demographic that that appeals to. <laughs> can you imagine the level of like hate that McDonald's would get if they yeah. put out that sandwich? Yeah, it can't do it. Can't do it. Right. So, I mean, and that's. But, I mean, but that's, that's funny because it's like the brand perception is so important. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and so like it's always like I'll always laugh because people will you know, like the Apple the Apple like iPhone versus Android people. They're like, Oh man, you don't have a good phone. I'm like, bruh, you are the seven millionth person to buy that iPhone. Like what what individuality are you really showing? And I think that's the other thing where people like argue about Marvel movies. I'm like, you're arguing about legitimately something that was in like marketing people sat there and they go, okay, we got to target these people. And you are the result of that. Yeah, every absolutely. TV show you watch, every reality show, all that stuff is put together in a way that is directly designed to appeal to you. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that isn't something you should be scared about, but that is something you should be aware of. Oh yeah. I, right? I, I, my, uh, uh, my favorite Apple iPhone phone case. Yeah is the phone case that says fuck capitalism <laughs> it's like do you know do you know who you, what yeah i always I, love that people are like I, and they buy like anarchy shirts off of amazon what the i'm oh like okay um that's like buying like the, the equivalent in the 90s would have been going to hot topic and getting a shirt and being like i'm edgy it's like okay well you bought that right next to the Annie Ann's pretzels. I mean, we could have, to, to be honest, we could have, like, for the monoculture episode, or for part of the monoculture office hour cinematic universe, universe yeah. we could talk about Amazon in retail. We could talk yeah. about yeah. Uh, Apple in computing. Actually, could, I want to talk about, um, we are going to do a follow-up episode because I want to talk about sneakers because I did a really interesting newsletter a couple weeks ago and interviewed this uh, MFA named Chris Burns. He's fantastic. He wrote a book about kind of sneaker retail and why... You think you know because you buy shoes. You think you know because you're into the culture. You read magazines. You see videos. But then you learn the business behind it. And you're like, oh. Really? Like, I learned. Like, Interesting. I saw a list of the 10 highest selling shoes in quarter one of this year. And all of them are the shoes you see at, like, Famous Footwear. The Nikes that are sold at, like, the mid-tier retailers. Oh, like, a Kohl's. And they're, it is not even close. Well, is that just because of volume? Volume, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, but but the, the but you wouldn't think that if you were a person that just in the sneakers, you'd be like, why would anybody want those? And it's like a lot of people want those. Uh, speaking of shoes, man, my feet have been just. <laughs> I I I I don't know if you get this, but if I'm like out walking, I wear super feet insoles in yeah, there, yeah, you know, yeah. all that. But it's just like these shoes are not. I, like at the end of the day, I'm just like I really, really. I feel great when I get out of my shoes, and you know, it just makes me glad to welcome our new sponsor to the show. <laughs> Do you want to introduce them? Yes. Our new sponsor. 
ladies and gentlemen, British Knights. British Knights. That's right. They're back. Welcome. British Knights. Welcome. We have, uh, I, like, we'll yeah. add this in post, but there's a drop of uh, fanfare. Yeah. It's like. All right. Hold on. Yeah, we're going to add the fanfare, and then I'm going to drop in, like, a British Knights reference, like, right here. Okay. Thank you, British Thank Knights. You, British Knights. Bi- Ernest and I are both uh, the only thing we wear on our feet when we podcast BK. is Briti- D- British Knights. The official yeah. shoe of Office Hours, BKs. We have like a little lineup of them outside of here. They're it's, all lighting up, too. They're all the ones with the light on the bottom, too. This is like, when we hire new people at Office Hours, yeah. and, and I hear this from HR a lot, they're just like, people come in and they're like, do I get a pair of British Knights? And we're like, you gotta earn them. You gotta earn those BKs. And, and before we wrap up, though, I want to say, I was skeptical to talk about monoculture this week because for me it was like okay every it's always been a monoculture to me like it's always because it, it before it was disney it was a company like an mca back in the day and like yep. the you know a, a con- like it's a conglomerate yep and you know procter and gamble these people these large companies and i think what i'm maybe cynical about is the concept of being able to truly be original. I think oh, yeah. the personality that you contain within is more important than the stuff that you put on to signify who you are. Totally agree. Totally agree. Right? So this has been episode one. Episode of, one of the Cinematic Universe. This is Iron Man so, 2008. So what are we going to talk about next week? Well, I'm just worried because I know in the Iron Man, it was Ter- it was Terrence Howard, and then they replaced him with Don Cheadle, so I'm just make- I just oh, don't want to yeah. get replaced. Well, how, how do you know I'm not Terrence Howard? I know you're not Terrence so, Howard. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, Trust me. I, have, I know I, you're I, not I, Terrence Howard. I've literally never asked anyone that question. Hey, before. man. Are you Terrence Howard? I'm no. out here with Iron Man, man. <laughs> hey, man. You got to understand, What man. was that movie where Terrence Howard was like a producer and- Hustle and Flow? Yeah. yeah. Hey, man. That's my bad Terrence Howard impression. I like it. It's, I think it's great. Man, so, you got to do something, man. So now, do we have like a website- um, for this we show, will. we will. We okay. will. Okay, so, so we're, we're putting something new together. So, so maybe on Facebook, like we talked about a lot of things here. Yeah. I I might just put together some links. You know what I would do when we post this? I think Twitter is probably a good medium for this. Okay. So if you're listening to this episode and you're on Twitter, you can follow us. Um, Alex, give your Twitter account. It's at Menocal. That's M E N O C A L. And I'm Ernest Wilkins. E R N E S T W I L K I N S. Give us a follow. So if you have thoughts about any of this and you want to see um, a specific installment of the Office Hours Cinematic Universe, go ahead and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. And also subscribe and tell your friends to give us, you know, give us a chance. Give us a chance. And next week you're going to hear us talk about the monoculture of, uh, I guess I guess this is the monoculture of the NDA. Oh, uh, the NDA. You, yeah, you said the NDA. You can't. I can't talk about you this. Can't talk about it, yeah. This is un- all under legal. It's all under. Okay, yeah. you're gonna hear us talk about something really cool next week. Yeah, it's gonna be. I'm so excited. Yeah, but all jokes aside, folks, we thank you so much for your time. As always, this is Office Hours. My name is Ernest Wilkins, and I'm Alex Menokel. Yeah, he is. You know what, Alex? I'm really proud of you. Just in general, that makes me feel great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm proud of you too. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, folks, this is Office Hours. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Welcome to Wade's Robbie. They've talked for the superstars. Tonight, tonight, Wade's guest, the incredible, incredible, incredible.